thing, you know, we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and, um, you know, they, they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that, that's what happens. And the full credit to Shane, you know, he just, just merged into the, into the family as if he'd been there all along. I was embarrassed for that race to restart in Tasmania. Dumb shit like that, that just isn't acceptable. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. Craig, you've had some interesting chats with managers of drivers and the subject of uh, their, in the post-lounge era, what's going to happen with all that. A very interesting uh, discussion. Yeah, we spoke to three uh, people, two who are obviously invested in Australian motorsport quite heavily. The other one who is invested in international motorsport, and particularly in the UK, extremely heavily with uh, Chris Jewell, Alan Gow and Paul Marinelli. And uh, three people who have quite different backgrounds in where they, where they come from. So their perspective, I found, was, was quite interesting because each looked at the problem of the biggest name in the sport not being there anymore but they had different conclusions or even different ideas on how to maximise the potential and opportunity from it. So uh, I think people are going to enjoy uh, the discussion uh, because it's, it's, the, it's pretty much the same question, but three very different answers. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So after the break, we'll come up with Paul Marinelli discussing with Craig Ravel driver management and what it involves. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Paul Marinelli has over 25 years in motorsport PR and marketing. And Paul, this changing of the guard, you've seen it before where we had people like certainly Peter Brock stepping away and Craig Lowndes being almost anointed heir apparent. But that process, to me, started two or three years ago uh, before Brock was uh, stepping down. It was, it was almost a, a concerted effort at that stage to say Craig Lowndes is the heir apparent. This time we're seeing Craig Lowndes leave and that hasn't been put in place, in my opinion. How do you read the situation? I totally agree with you, uh, Craig. I think that the situation at the moment, what's happened is that you've had decades go by where the old heroes sort of came and went, like your Peter Brock, Dick Johnson's, Glenn Seaton's, etc., came and went. Uh, Alan Jones you could throw into that mix as well, Larry Perkins, these guys, all became pretty much household names. Motorsport was generating a lot more publicity back in those days. But also you had PR people with the teams working very, very hard, along with the sport itself, to ensure that their drivers got a lot of publicity. But in the end, it, a lot of it fell onto the drivers themselves and what they were willing to do to promote themselves. 
um, and a lot of them need, needed help from their various PR managers and stuff, and they got that help. And the ones who wanted to run with it did. Uh, Craig Lowndes is a classic example. Yeah, classic example. He learns everything he, that he could possibly need to learn about uh, being a people person through Peter Brock, right? No doubt about it. That process to me, for him, started from the day he became a touring car driver, not a couple of years before, from that day that he started. I think he understood, <coughs> as well as um, because he had a great teacher in Peter, but he also had great PR guidance there. If you remember at the time, Paul Weissel was working with the team, and, and you know the amount of effort they put into promoting him as the new young star. But he ran with it, you know, and he saw what Peter was doing, staying with the fans, doing everything, and did it all. Sadly, in the decades that have gone by, what we've seen with our new generation is a stack of fantastic race drivers from both here and New Zealand come here, do the business on the track, but that public aspect of it has been sadly neglected by, by pretty much all of them. There are some that have done better than others, but, but generally the emphasis came away from uh, the media and the public and, and was solely behind the wheel of the car, the data-driven race driver, I like to call it, right? But, but didn't really think about it and, and uh, about that public aspect so much. Now, teams also dropped the ball, where instead of each team having a really good gun PR, and yet all these gun PRs working hard, and the whole series benefited, and all the drivers benefited from all this coverage, they decided that PR wasn't that important anymore. It didn't matter. Social media will take care of that. And by doing that, now we have the situation where we have the most successful driver we've ever had in the history of our sport, Jamie Winkup, absolutely brilliant behind the wheel. No one knows who he is outside of the sport. You know, I don't want to be offensive for the guy, I love him. But at the end of the day, I respect his talent, but from a public perspective, I'm sorry. Just about everyone around the country doesn't know who you are unless they're a motorsport fan. Now, that wasn't the case for Craig Lowndes. It certainly wasn't the case for Peter Brock. It definitely wasn't the case for Alan Jones. Um, you know, and, and even Larry Perkins you could throw into the mix and, uh, back in those days. So, and I, I have to say that the effort they've put both from a team and the driver themselves in investing in their own brand has been sadly lacking. You know, And this is what these, sadly, a lot of guys who say opted to not have a manager, not to have a PR, or, or not to do what the PR told them to do, or the team deciding PR wasn't that important. Now we pay the price. We pay the price with a lack of sponsors. We pay the price with a lack of publicity. The media, the restructuring and downsizing of the media hasn't helped, but you can't say it's impossible not to get media, because you can. Just I believe the effort that's been put behind making these guys stars, if you like, or sporting stars in this country, has been sadly lacking from both the team side, but also the driver has responsibility as well. It's, it, at the end of the day, you're, you're at the, as the athlete, as I like to call it, you're out there to promote your brand. And if you're not doing that, besides your racing, you've got to win. You've got to be successful. You've got to get podiums. You've got to do all that. The team's got to back you up. But you've, you're responsible for yourself. And you had drivers that, that invested in management and PR and stuff like that and benefited out of that. There's no doubt at all. Um, if I could take you back to my work with Mark Winterbottom and you know the fact that we got him to voice a character in a Disney movie, you know, it's think things that you thought could never be done, but it's just push, 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 and, and, and for the driver or the athlete to to be willing to do all that stuff. And not wasn't necessarily for a lot of money, but look what happens to your pub, to your public persona, you know, through the roof at one stage, you know. You, Craig was always miles ahead of everyone. But then you had other guys sort of snapping at, you know, trying to trying to get to that level, and a lot of others that just didn't care. 
Now we say goodbye to Craig at the end of this season as a full-time driver. Our only household name in the sport, let's face it, that's 100% true. And what do we do? Do we now try and push one guy and say, hey, you're the big star? It's up to them, really. You know, but, uh, you know that's been a fairly long monologue, but it's, it's basically... The, the athlete investing in, the, in themselves and the teams putting more effort into PR as well, because the series does quite a bit as well. But it's whether the drivers, the, the, it's always the same drivers who are willing to do all the appearances, to turn up at all the events, to do all the charity events. And I can tell you now, Craig Lowndes' name was always on the top of that list, even if he didn't want to. And believe me, I've worked with a the guy. There were times he didn't want to, but he did it because he knew how important it was. Now, I can give you a list of names of drivers currently out there doing a great job behind the wheel. The first thing they do is slam the door on your face. If you said, can you come to a charity event? Can you do this? Can you do that? It's not about so much the charity or this and that. It's about raising your public persona, your, your profile, and, and investing in you as, a, as an athlete that people actually know. Because beyond motorsport fans, there's a huge world out there. And sadly, we're not getting to it just by driving race cars around. I'm interested in your thoughts on what will the vacuum be like when Craig's gone? Now, you work with companies in the automotive sector, and if you had to go up and say driver X to face your brand, what's their reaction? You would have to go... First of all, you'd have to go with the most successful drivers at at the current time. So obviously Scott McLaughlin, these guys, Van Gisberg, and um, the rest of it. You know, everyone is doing well at that, at that top end. That's who you would go for because generally they're going to get the most coverage because of their success. Um, but in terms of when you're talking to companies, what would they tell you? I, I, I hate to tell you, but it's true. They'll say who? For each one of those names, they will say who? Some might know who you're talking about, but generally speaking, you've got a new generation of marketer now who's a younger generation who hasn't grown up around the sport. The sport's getting less publicity than it used to through the mass media. So these marketers just look at figures, basically. Okay, so who's, who's winning the most races? Who's doing the most... Um, who's being the most successful? Who's, uh, who's getting the most publicity? And if they don't, those numbers don't stack up, the deal doesn't happen. Where does the social media feed... Like, in rallying... It's been said that uh, Molly Taylor and Harry Bates are as important, are probably more important to Toyota at a function and to tell their story and to put their social media pages up than they are actually to drive the rally car, which in theory they're paid for. Firstly, we, we, we shouldn't forget that what they, did, what they do behind the wheel of the car is what gets them in a position to be able to go on social media and to have so many people following them. So I would say that that, number one, is very important, if not the most important thing, because that's what, that's what makes them known. Second to that, social media, yes, it's very, very important, because if the fan can feel a connect through social media, if it's done by them, which, again, is not the case for many of these race drivers... They have other people doing it for them, and it's the same with lots of other athletes. But, but if they feel that special connection, that's a good thing. But it's not everything. You've still got to chase the media. You've still got to go to the public events. You've still got to be seen at major events that have got nothing to do with your sport, you know, even if it's, a, if it's a triathlon or something, you know, something like that. These are the things you've got to do to be noticed. 
Now, can you remember when James Courtney did Dancing with the Stars? He also he was appearing, suddenly he was appearing on radio shows. He was all he was everywhere, right? I remember waiting in a lounge with him at the Gold Coast Airport, and he was swamped. People just came from everywhere, and I, and I said to him, I said, I've never seen this except with Craig. That's the only time I've seen this, like when I worked with him in FBR. And he's like, oh, you know, doing all this stuff has really, really worked, you know. Again, this is what it all comes down to. It wasn't just a lucky break. It was the effort that was put into it by himself and by the, the, the program, but also by the team at the time, PR-wise. PR you know, they had everything switched on into how we're going to push up this person. Because if you do that, all the sponsors go with you. Everything goes with you, and everything suddenly starts looking better and better. So we've got a bit of a vacuum, you're right, once Craig goes. It's up to these guys to invest in themselves, these top-running guys. And you don't have to be a top driver, too, to be a great personality, as in, as in uh, getting all the, winning all the races. Of course you don't. You need to work at it, though. And you need to do the things that no one else is doing. You need to turn up at all these events and stuff. And I can't tell you, now it's a different world. I think that the putting out a tweet is going to make everybody like them. It's part of the mix, it is not the complete mix. And what's happened these days, it's gone all towards that digital side as opposed to all your traditional means of getting on television programs, of you know, get, getting on in the newspapers, getting into magazines, uh, you know, things, house, household magazines that sell millions of copies still, you know, and there's no one even chasing anything in those. You know, years ago, we, that was the holy grail for us, if you could get a, a women's weekly story or something. It's the holy grail, you know, and... Um, I know it's changed a bit now, but these are all the things that add up to make you invest in your own brand and make your brand a very, very powerful one, which will then be in turn be appealing to fans, sponsors. People always want what everyone else has got. and you know, it, it, it's, it's no different to marketing a product. It's simply marketing yourself. Is this a, a result of drivers are now paid enough that they can be a race driver full-time and have a good living? Whereas previously, the Brock era, even the Scaife era, what they were getting paid to race was a nice earn, but they could make so much more by doing all these extras. Um, look, there's no doubt the money side of it has changed significantly over the years. I mean, it's, it's some drivers have earned incredible money uh, doing this. But again, that is a result of you being a very, very talented athlete or a very talented race driver. But... The higher your profile, the more you're going to get paid. There's no doubt about it. No no doubt about it. So is that a result? That are they doing less because they're being paid a bit more? I'd say that might contribute to it a bit. I think it's more because they, it hasn't been taught or hasn't been told or taught, I suppose is the word, to these guys how important, how incredibly important that side of it is. I mean, look what's happened. You remember years ago, Craig, yourself, you've been on the scene a long time. Every team had a media guy that come into the media centre, talk to all the journalists, um, always trying to do a deal to get a story up and running, bring their drivers in if they've had a crash, take your driver to the commentary booth so he gets to talk to all the public at a race event. This, this is the stuff that used to happen all the time. You look at it now, you never see that. You're lucky if you see a team media representative going to a media centre and even know who a journalist is, let alone go and pitch a story. You know, That's something that for us was a given. You had to do it all the time. And yes, things have changed in digital media and that, but you can't tell me that the basic premise of trying to attract media coverage for a driver, even if the driver does it themselves, that that, that does not bring you a benefit. Of course it brings you a benefit. As Since we've seen the bombshell in Townsville on the Friday, have you seen drivers trying to position themselves better? 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> there's been a bit of a late flurry by, by a couple of guys who have done their best to get their heads in front of the TV cameras more and smile a bit more and be a bit more amenable. Uh, I don't know if it's just coincidental, um, but yeah, I have. Um, I don't want to drop anyone in the poo, but good on them for at least they're trying. But but the sad part of it is, it's, it's a, you know, it's a little bit too late to start to suddenly be. Oh, I'm going to do everything now because Craig's going, so now I'll do all the stuff. But hey, better late than never. But for a long time there, it was just I drive the car, I do the press conference that I have to do reluctantly, I check my texts while I'm at an appearance under the table, and people aren't stupid, they see all that, you know, and show complete disregard for the public. I've seen that so many times, it's beyond belief. Got to the point where I would drive, so I'd just take the phones off them, you know, because you just want people to feel special. You know, even, even if there's a TV camera on you and you're too busy checking your messages and stuff like that used to go on recently a lot, you know. But look, I think, I think they've got to realise they've got to step up. They've got to invest in their own brand. Can't say that enough. You are a brand. You are an ambassador for yourself. They have to do that. The teams could do a lot more too, PR-wise. There's no doubt about it. They, the ball has been dropped badly in recent years. Uh, I think it's been dismissed as, oh, it's too hard to get coverage. That is absolute crap. Absolute crap. It's harder, but it's not impossible. No way. Particularly with the downsizing of media resources now, you've got less journalists. You got The more you give them, the more cover- coverage you're going to get. It's almost guaranteed these days, you know? But they're not willing... It, I haven't seen that sort of effort go into it uh, lately. And, and even if a driver goes to the extent... And I've seen other drivers do it, where they've actually hired a person whose job is to promote them, to get media coverage for them, to help them with media inquiries, to, to do the social, to coordinate social media, websites, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, and that's good. That, that does work. It brings a return. But if you're not willing to invest in your own career, don't then at the end of your, like towards the end of your career, say, oh, I should have been as famous as Craig Lowndes. Well, no, you know, he worked damn hard to be as, as, as successful as he was, not only behind the wheel, but in all the other stuff. And he learnt from the master. I mean, Peter, Peter Brock was incredible. I remember seeing him and just thinking to myself, how does this guy do it? You know, they'd have to cancel flights all the time because he'd stay until the last van was felt taken care of. Look them in the eye when he's signing something. Have a chat to them. I saw him come to a trade show once. This is what really opened my eyes about what he's like. Uh, if you picture a trade show where you got 500 exhibitors, 400, 500 exhibitors, he walked... After he'd done his presentation, which he'd been paid for, he could have gone home after that, he walked into every, every single stand, spoke to every single exhibitor. I can't tell you how, how excited they all were because he had the most successful race driver in the country, the most famous, one of the most famous sports people in the country, asking them about their product. Now, you find me a driver today, any of them that would do that, at a tra- I guarantee you not one of them would. That's something that was natural to Peter. You know, it's like, I have to do this because this builds my brand. Probably got him a few extra personal sponsors as well and more appearances, you know. So very, very clever. And it's not rocket science. It really isn't. It's just being nice to people and being open to people and treating the media as a vehicle to help you rather than some people that are, that are against you. That's, you still work with some young drivers now. Yep. Do they understand it? Because they have more than our current crop of supercar drivers, these young drivers have never lived in a world without social media. Yeah, um, they understand it. The, the sad part of it is when you're in the junior categories, uh, such as Max Vidot at the moment in the Porsche 33 uh, Challenge, 
unfortunately getting media interest is very very difficult so we go down the road of, uh, of getting trade media and stuff like that and that's worked very very well but I, I try very hard to, to, to ingrain into them the understanding that the more you do even if it's pissy little stuff you know you've got to do it community radio whatever it might be you do it because it's all about getting you well known and if, if 10 more people know you after doing it that's fantastic because there'll come a day when you'll do something like that and 100,000 more people know you. And then a million people know you. You know, it, it, it takes time. But yes, I do try to drum it in. I think social media is important for them. What I try to tell them is, is not everything. That's, that alone will not do it. You need to do more. And finally, who do you think in the void that's about to happen, who do you think will be the one that stands up and... Will it be to the same level, or will we not now have our household name in motorsport for 10 years? It's a really difficult question, Craig. I, I actually thought about this a lot when they announced um, Lance, when Lance's retirement was announced, and I was trying to think, you know, who will carry the mantle, you know? It's, it's a really difficult question, and, you know, if you go on results, you'd say, you know, guys like Scott McLaughlin, you know, uh, he's got the personality for it. He certainly has that. He has the appeal for it. He's a Kiwi, but we'll forgive him for that. But at the end of the day, I feel that he could have done more earlier in his career to promote himself a bit more, to be a bit more out there. I think he was very, very shy when he started too, and he's come out of that shell. So he's in, he's in a good position, but I really don't know. In terms of a household name, I think we are at least a decade away from that happening again, at least a decade, because... These guys, sadly, we know them. All the motorsport fans, everyone listening to your show, we know who they are and we love them and we think they're fantastic at what they do and we respect their skill. But out there, no, you know, not nobody, but, geez, the, the overwhelming majority have no idea who they are. So there's a lot of work to be done by the sport, by the teams, and by the drivers themselves. And if they're not willing to invest in themselves, well, don't complain after when your career's ended and, and you don't have anything really left to fall back on because no one knows who you are except motorsport fans you know it's it's a hard one to answer i think we're in for a long time before you've got another megastar and, and the thing I, I the first thought that went through my mind when the uh, lounge retirement was announced um, aside from the shock of it being so so sudden was um you know our megastar's gone and I felt the same way when Peter Brock, oh, I know he retired several times, but, you know, that first retire, I thought to myself, our, our only megastar is, is gone. And I feel that way again now. I certainly hope it'll change. I hope the sport will grow and, and become stronger. Um, but without, without all of that effort being put into media, social media, and into, um, into being visible to the public, at any event that you can possibly do that gets you out to people, unless you're willing to do all that, you will not be a household name in this country. It's, it's, there are, you're competing against too many people. Footballers, you know, I mean, yeah, sporting people from, from all different disciplines. That's who you're up against. And these people go out there and do 10 times the amount that, that, that our drivers do, like in terms of appearances this and that. And, but because their sports are so fairly insignificant to the press, they get even less. You know, so, so they've got to work 10 times as hard, you know. It's, it's, a, difficult, it's a difficult one. I hope we have a megastar soon. Paul, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. After the break, a man who has a long, steep history in Australian motorsport, but more recently, of course, is one of the main men in British motorsport and the British Touring Car Championship, 
Alan Gow. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at the Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Alan Gale, back in Australia, but for many, many years you've looked after drivers of all motor racing disciplines. I'm interested in your thoughts with the void that's going to be left in supercars with the departure of Craig Glowns from full-time racing. Where do you think drivers can take the opportunity of a, a potential new fan base? Um, look, the drivers have got to look after their own IP. Um, it, it's, it, it's, up to, it's up to them to, to promote themselves amongst the fans, both within the sport but more, more particularly outside the sport. You know, race fans know who the drivers are and you can easily, you can easily not easily, you, you, you can build that sort of following up within that band. Where Craig was good and Peter... Brock was good, was outside of motor racing, and that's where you get it from. So when you're talking to a driver, what are you saying to them about their IP and their brand? Exactly that. You know, look beyond the sport. Um, the, 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 the sport and the driver will look after themselves within the sport. Um, if, you want to, if you want to build your fan base and build your profile, do it outside of motorsport. It seemed like 20, 30 years ago... Formula One decided that it's more important to have a fan follow them, their team, than it was to follow their driving, their driving stocks. Yeah, and sort of, I think NASCAR is the same too. Um, but <clears throat> look, the, the team have equity in the driver when they're driving for them. So the team have got to be careful that they don't build up a driver to be to become bigger than the team, because ultimately, when that driver leaves, then the team have got that void to fill. So. So the team have got to be very careful that they don't, uh, you know, uh, over-accentuate the driver over and above the team. And that's happened plenty of times. And then the team, the, the driver goes, the sponsor leaves, there's that, there's that huge void. So whilst the driver's with the, with the team, there's equity that they have with the driver, but they've got to be really careful that they manage, uh, you know, the, 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 the level of promotion they put into the driver equally with the team. Normally a driver would stay with a series in the most part, and certainly in Australia we've got the one main series. Where does the series then have a responsibility? I know you're heavily involved with James Courtney, as you have been throughout almost all of his career, if not all, and we saw the series at one stage, they're very active with using James in the early uh, Channel 7 era. Yeah, and and that's good, but the series has got to be really careful too. Um, because you know you 've got twenty six drivers um, and and if you start showing too much um, uh, uh, too, too much bias towards one driver um, that 's not good for the series too because you 'll alienate other fans so, so okay James drives a Holden right so if you put too much emphasis on James, what are you going to do about the Ford fans and everything else um, so the, so the series of uh, 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 as a series I, obviously I run a series. I, I don't promote individual drivers. I promote the series. 
um, and that's and that's much more important for me. So, if you're going back to an event, are you promoting the last winner I'm, at that track, or how do you? Because I'm, you still I'm, need drivers yeah, in yeah, in I'm, some respect. You can't just put a car on a cover, can you? We put less emphasis on the in in, in the UK. We put less emphasis on the drivers than we do on the series. Um, so we'll we'll promote the driver who won the last race, but we'll we'll. We'll pr- promote the, dri- the team and the car that they drive and the series itself. We very rarely promote a driver. Uh, and that's different over here, I get it, and that's probably a cultural thing more than anything else. We just don't do that. In your time, watching from a... You know, obviously you have a, an interest in here, but watching from afar, have you seen a, a cultural shift on drivers and the way they've gone about their business and then the way they're being promoted? Yeah, much more professional than they've ever been um, in, in, in the way they go about doing things, and that's great to see. Um, but, but you know, look, to be honest, I don't keep that close an eye on this series from afar. Um, you know, I look after, obviously, I look after James, and that's all I focus on. I don't really look at whatever anyone else is doing, so I'm probably going to give you a, a bad answer to that one. After the break, we'll be back with Chris Jewell, who still to this day is involved as a driver manager with... Uh, two or three in the paddock who look to him for guidance and he's certainly got some wise words on how to go about the whole process so chris jewell after the break each week join the inside motorsport team as they look at all the news from across australia and around the world and you know every every year i see jackie's tour grand prix and i just remind myself of of his part in in starting the the path to safer cars dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Chris Jewell, driver profiles are an interesting thing to talk about, particularly in the light of the fact that Craig Lowndes is moving away from full-time driving and there's going to be quite a void there, uh, a long-time member of the supercar community and had a, a lot of different roles in supercars. What do you think about a driver's responsibility to himself in making a profile and then what other aspects come into it? Yeah, it's a good point because most of these drivers, if you look at the, the current field of supercars, there's so many ex-carters and Formula Ford drivers and champions in it. And those drivers, when they're in their formative years, let's say 12 to 16, as they go through that transition into open-wheel racing and, and mainstream circuit racing, you know, they're pimply kids, you know, freckle face, dad or mum's not far away, a brother might be helping, and the only thing they're really focusing on is driving fast and winning races. And, and that competitive breed comes from that, that, that composure, that ability to win races, but in a modern sports world, obviously it runs a lot deeper than that. Uh, you know, in every sport we see these days, they're getting younger, fitter, faster, more articulate. So the pressure is actually on a lot of the drivers to start considering doing other things to complement their skill set. And the primary function is, of course, driving racing cars fast, but it's not enough. And you, you know, you talk about Craig Lowndes in the opener, and you know, he was largely, you know. He was guided by John Crennan and, and the people at HSV and, and what was HRT, obviously, and, and went through a similar process, albeit at a slightly older age. It, it, what we thought was very young back then, as a 16 to 18, 19-year-old, you've now got drivers who aren't even competing at Bathurst this year who can't race because they're 15, yet they've done two or three years of circuit racing. So it is a balance. I don't know that I've seen a totally self-sufficient racing driver who is competitive, fit, 
fast, focused, articulate, uh, and and consultative with sponsors and media um, out of the womb. It does take some guiding and, and development. Some self-develop, some engage others to help develop. Some are fortunate enough to have a family that might have a business that they're exposed to, so they pick up on other disciplines in their life at a young age, and they mature quite quickly. And I think that's evident when you look at the best of motorsport right around the world. The manager's role in promoting a driver, and not all drivers have managers, and uh, interestingly, some drivers have gone... 90% of the career without a manager and then got one towards the end of their career, others go the other way and, um, and drop off their manager towards the end. But it's interesting to, to find out where's the manager's role in promoting a driver and doing all that work to establish a name so that people who are working in the main game even know they exist. It's interesting because what tends to happen is, you know, it's very easy to cherry pick in sport and clearly anybody who wanted to manage the leading lights in sport, potentially queuing at the door to have an opportunity to earn a small commission out of a big salary from one of those sports stars. And when you're trying to sell a new name, you know, it's very easy to try and drop them in as, this is the next Craig Lowndes, or this is the next Lewis Hamilton. And obviously, if you don't deliver, then you only get the chance to say that once. But what, in essence, you really need to do is you need to be promoting, this is the first you know, Chris Jewell, or this is the first whomever it might be. And, and that falls on deaf, deaf ears largely, and, and it's, it becomes very results-driven. So that's why, in the background, if you can create a mechanism for them to be a better and more proficient person away from the steering wheel, and then continually, not necessarily force feed, but continually keep those potential suitors or employees up to date with what you're doing and the driver is doing if they then engage with them one-on-one by bumping them into a you know at an airport or at a racetrack and it's amazing how many times we all cross over in our environment if they then engage well and communicate well the light bulb of sort of the psyche comes on and 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 further observations are made and potentially if you have a, a standout performance championship win a really good run in a wet race or something like that it can create an opportunity for the the potential employer to want to look more closely at the individual. You've got to be careful that it's a balancing act because you can force feed too many people and create almost an anti-awareness whereby the, you know, the, the team boss will be saying, yeah, 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 this is the fifth guy you've said is going to be the next end and centre and he's not going to be. And then if the sixth one comes along and is actually very good, you may have tarnished the brand a little bit. So it is a fine balancing act and I still firmly believe that the drivers need the assistance to develop a profile, to communicate what they do. And, and over time, the management role it diminishes. Because the drivers, once they are ensconced in, in one of our big teams, they have at their disposal many other things. They have fitness, diet, counselling, team management, logistics, all the other things that go with it. And, and you largely then move into a backroom role where you tend to be doing ambassadorial deals or you're the consultative father or friend or the guiding light when things are down. And, and, and then you do contractual work in the background because not many drivers really like to do all of the tedious, you know, menial paperwork um, process so it does diminish over time but the plan is to have one that's flying the flag so highly that the younger ones coming through in this circuitous conduit tend to think well without that person it's going to be very difficult not impossible but very difficult to reach the top so how do you how do you balance the name recognition media training and then um how do you balance those three aspects because uh, it's it's becoming very clear that unless you've got all three you're a very difficult proposition for a team to take on i keep an eye on all of the junior and and state level 
karting and open wheeler uh, competitions, be it a round or a championship. And it's rare if someone comes up to me and says, oh, there's this young guy in Western Australia named X, and you don't know the name. And, and it's your job to obviously know who some of the talented drivers coming through are. Just like in AFL, it's a talent spotters type role to be spending time at junior games and identifying future stars. Less important, I think, from an AFL player's perspective and other ball codes because their reliance is largely on their ability on field and they're not heavily supported from a sponsorship perspective directly. Motor racing, we've got 26 supercar drivers and you know, a minority of teams have got big sponsors, so they have to have that greater level of proficiency. It's not to say AFL players don't develop it, but it's less important. So it's a matter of identifying the talent. And fundamentally, it doesn't matter whether you are the best-looking, most intelligent, best-speaking young individual. If you're slow... You can't window dress that. So the core ingredient you're actually looking for is someone who genuinely has the speed. And I can sometimes spend two years watching young drivers develop and identifying their strengths and weaknesses, their their temperament, because in the formative years, it's easy to potentially feel the pressure of a family who has expectation or your own expectation. And second, sometimes feels like last. And there's many a tantrum thrown at karting of tracks. And those indicators can sometimes show you the drive in the person. You also then hemispherically look at the family around them and perhaps what they might do, uh, the resources they might have at their disposal or at the extension of what they may do. Could well be that their first sponsor is part of a business a parent might have. It could be a neighbour who's in quite senior in business. So I've had clients that I've spent two years evaluating before we've engaged in service. So fundamentally, you have to be fast, you have to be focused, you have to be resilient. And if you can get those things by 12, 13, 14, by then, they normally don't have too many warts. And by that, I mean they haven't picked up too many bad habits. You get them at 19, 20, 21, they're in the girlfriend phase, they've got their, their first motor vehicle to drive around in, they're growing into an adult. And if they haven't sort of flown from the coop, uh, from the family coop, it's very hard to change that personality at that age. So that's why you're looking for people much younger. How often do you have someone approach you and you just go, it's it's not going to work and you have to, or do you be that blunt and say your, your son, daughter isn't going to make it? I would have between five and ten approaches most months, so probably in the vicinity of 50 to 80 approaches during the course of the year. Uh, sometimes referred, which can be difficult because you feel like you need to do the right thing by someone who's introduced somebody to you. That can be a trap because you need to actually apply the same process and diligence to making the decision regardless of association or introduction. So, yeah, it's, it is hard, and you do have to sometimes be blunt because sometimes they just are not any good or they're not particularly quick enough to be the champion that you're looking for and I've had some people who've told me they've got you know the next Ayrton Centre coming up and the boys too and hasn't driven yet and you, know, you, you have some fanciful approaches but I always give them the time of day at least a half an hour on the phone explain the process and more often than not the question at the end is when you're trying to close the sale and say look I don't think I can fit you in at the moment they may then say to you well who else do you recommend and it's difficult because it's a specialised field in our world there are a number of managers but they're not in the yellow pages under motorsport management so yeah you do have to sometimes cut people off short and sometimes you do that and only to find that somebody else has picked them up and they did go on to greatness we're not always making the right decisions in this world and uh it, yeah, it's, it's a process of of con- constant review uh development and evolving people at the the main game supercar level what's their responsibility to themselves to their brand well i think the first thing is if if i am ever going through the formative parts of of an introduction of my services 
and they start to believe they don't need all of the things you can provide uh, and they believe they're proficient or they ignore what I know they will need. Like a driver who's not particularly fit or a driver who doesn't want to learn to communicate reasonably well or hold a conversation with a sponsor, a fan, the media, etc. If they're anti that from the start, it's pretty much a big red cross because they'll never embrace the thinking and they don't necessarily have to be a student of the sport. They don't need to know what's going on in NASCAR or Formula One, but educationally they need to understand that without the ability to communicate with media, fans and sponsors, it's unlikely you're going to make it on skill alone. If they don't embrace that from the start, then you know full well that's probably not the sort of person you're looking for. And they might not necessarily accept it in the way of they 100% commit to it, but if they're 100% committed to developing in it, then you know you've got an opportunity with the person. In a day and age now of a data driver, how has their their um, mindset shifted Bridie was a guy that you've had a huge involvement with over the years and uh, it's fair to say that he was uh, he was a, a driver through the seat of the pants he he could engineer a car from the seat the, this day and age at the top level of motorsport that's not done there's an engineer there's a series of mechanics all making decisions that 15 years ago, 20 years ago, were the driver's decision. Yeah, I mean, you hear the old stories of mechanical sympathy in drivers who used to hear, hear sounds in an engine or a gearbox to nurse their cars to the checkered flag, um, and there's been a transient shift since then. I still think it's important for any driver um, to still have their say. You know, clearly you wouldn't want to be engineering-led, but you need to have the, con- the comprehension. And there are two drivers from my perspective. There's the driver who can advise what the car is doing and then leave it for the engineer to potentially recommend a change. And there's a driver who can actually tell the engineer what the car is doing and co-recommend what could be the right change. So I still think the importance of having the technical comprehension is very valuable. And also then when you're sitting down with more definitive data and you're going over data traces of the, of the, the track layout and, and all the applications and fundamental parameters of the car, you need to have that technical comprehension because despite the fact that we're a sedan sport, they are technical cars now. You know, They have a transaxle, which has infinite number of adjustments for the, from the suspension on the rear. There's all sorts of other parameters you're looking at, the way the cars have to be driven to nurse to a fuel window, you know, tyre life. It becomes very technical, despite it not looking like a necessarily technical category. So I think that it's important that a driver has the comprehension mechanically from an engineering perspective. And if you don't understand exactly how the technology works and you have to have great faith, the engineer is going to take you where you need to go. Drivers now are paid a, a, a very good salary, whereas you know in earlier times they were either a team owner or they had a perhaps a wealthy benefactor. Has that changed the driver's attitude in your opinion? I think there is a time there when many young drivers just wanted to drive a racing car and didn't think of being paid to drive. And and I have drivers in my stable and have had them in my stable who regularly say, look, I just want to win races. And I guess if you win races, that will take care of itself. But there was a time a decade ago where manufacturers artificially pumped up the value of a lot of drivers, and some of them are still fortunate enough to be you know, being paid big money, which they probably wouldn't get if they were coming in at introductory level in this day and age. So they're aware of it, but I've never met a driver that's genuinely been focused on wanting to win championships and make a career out of motorsport solely stating it's for money. I want to do this for money. And in every sporting code, if you don't love the sport initially, it's a nice 
side benefit if you can get paid one, let alone paid well two, let alone being paid in the stratospheric sense three. So I don't think it's a sole motivator because when they enter carding at six, seven, eight, nine, they don't even think about money. They wouldn't even know how much it was worth. So no, and I don't think it's become the sort of sport where you know golf, tennis. You know, the global sports where you can earn a fortune. I believe there would be young players who are motivated by the massive riches that are available. We, we can't resemble that in Australia, despite the well-paid drivers at the higher end. And there's probably, what, six or eight very well-paid Formula One drivers. There's probably six or eight very well-paid supercar drivers. So if money's your motivator, I don't think it'll work. I guess my point was... Um a lot of drivers will go, I'll forego a sponsorship, a personal sponsorship, or I'll forego doing a bit of extra work for team sponsors because my base salary is is satisfactory to my needs. Yeah, I think you always should be considerate of doing the extra things, you know, the, the extracurricular things that you're requested of doing. You never know how long a sponsorship's going to last or a contract's going to last, and, you know, without necessarily... Uh, piecemealing yourself to every person who makes an overture to you um, it, it's short-sighted if you don't necessarily try and pursue new opportunities with the network you're directly within and if you're fortunate enough to have somebody who wants to uh, be a sponsor or have you as an ambassador who makes an overture to yourself that's just plain ignorance uh, if you don't embrace that because the long-standing sponsorships of days gone by when deals were announced that were 10-year deals or stadium deals for 100 years they're gone there's not a lot of long-term com- contract anymore and it's very difficult to find a sponsor so when you have it you want to nurture it and keep them so yeah i would recommend any driver that has an opportunity to earn some additional money over and above their salary i.e case in point craig lowndes who's got great personal endorsements then that's the way you can become more of a global globalized individual and move into something else after motorsport because by about 40 the career is coming to a close Early 40s has been what we've seen recently with Jason Bright, obviously Craig Lowndes and some others. Uh, how long before you know they start? people at 25 start to realise at 45, I need to find something else to do? And they won't all make it into the media and they won't all write a book and you have hopefully a long life thereafter. And unless you've earned stratospherically high salary for that time frame, you're going to have need to find some money to pay for the outgoings you, uh, you need to service. So yeah, embrace it, run with it, and um, there's never a better time to capture as much money as you can than when you're in vogue. How do you then advise drivers along that path? Because, as you said, a, a, a sports career, no matter what sport it is, is much, much shorter than the, uh, the balance of the life. Yeah, I think that comes in the formative years. You know, it's a cultivational thing. If you try to disseminate on any driver at 15 all of the information, the journey you can see that's ahead for the next 30 years, you'd probably scare them off. So it's it's an organic thing. Over time, you, you just slowly introduce and, and chat freely about some of the things that are going to be important going forward. It's almost, you know, to use the slang, to businessify their comprehension of the industry they're in mm-hmm. and, and then embrace that and move forward. And and some you can see early that they would potentially have a career in other areas. Some may be fortunate enough to you know, have a family business they could move back into if they had to, but they might not want to. You know, running a family business compared to driving racing cars are you know, disparate you know, as far as um, the personas of those are concerned. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something you have to slowly introduce. But, um, again, it goes back to the fundamental intellect and desire you know, for them to be able to embrace and accept some of the things. And all I ever say to any young driver... All I ask you to do from word word go, I may be right a lot of the time, I may be wrong a lot of the time, but just listen. 
So if the experience of your own failings or successes can be imparted on them, and may well be that they combat that and they prove to be right and you're wrong, but if they just listen, and if early in the piece they don't listen, then you can see clearly they may not embrace all of the thinking of what we're discussing right here. As I said at the top, Craig Lowndes is leaving the sport as the as a full-time driver. I have observed that a couple of drivers have now gone, hmm, here's opportunity. There's a big fan base out there that's about to become unattached to a driver. What do you think and say to drivers who are at the top level about opportunities of picking up fans and now becoming, not necessarily, you're not going to become the next Craig Lounge, but you're going to have a whole world of fans out there that are going to go, hmm, who should I support now? And these rusted on guys, in a business term, they're, they're gold because they buy the shirt every year, they buy the hat, they'll have a jacket, they'll have a patch or a, or a flag. Monetarily, it might not be direct, but there are huge advantages to having a supporter base. Keep it real. You know, just keep it real. Um, each individual, you can't change the natural DNA in someone, even at 12. You might be able to streamline and influence it, but um, if, you, if you maintain the basic you know, format of your true personality, and you know, I think if you look at some of the drives in the sport now, you can pick the ones that are a little artificial. You know, they, they say the right things. If you watch American car racing, they all say all the right things. They include all the sponsors, and they never whinge or whine, but it's not real. And then they have a fist fight in pit lane after something goes wrong. Well, then they've, they've become more popular, don't they? It's a divided faction. Someone will support that side, or, you know, it's the Collingwood-Carlton thing, Australia, you know, New Zealand thing. So, but keep it real. I mean, I always say to my drivers, there's no definitive media training per se. Um, there's just snippets of information and how you can actually use that information and the behaviour to engage people in a better way and all of the, the fundamental no-nos of you know not chewing gum and don't wear sunglasses in an interview and all the little things. But over time, it's just be yourself. When you're talking to the media, when you're talking to the fans, to sponsors, it's like two of you sitting there and having a coffee in a coffee shop, you know, and it's like two mates having a chat. And I think there's a lot of that coming through in some of the leading lights. You look at you know, Shane Van Gisberg and Case in Point. You know, he was, he was angular, um, had a big, grizzly sort of young, young man who could drive really quickly and probably one of the drivers who needed to work a lot on media and communication over time. He's now become proficient, but, and it's not a cri- criticism, but he's not Craig Lowndes. Mm. You know, and, and Craig, as a young, bubbly kid, is largely still the Craig, you know, he used to be. And I can still recall, you know, one of his very first interviews in HRT days, and I think we counted the word obviously 28 times in about a three-minute interview. Not a criticism, but it was his safe word. Now you don't hear it as often. So it's about slowly cultivating it, but just be yourself. Be yourself, because that's what the fans will fall in love with. And it may well be that yourself is a Tony Stewart yourself. You know, and it is. It's rough and gruff and it's direct and it's it's coarse. And then, then on converse, conversely, you've got the other end of the scale where you've got some of the supposedly softer personalities, but when the helmet comes on, you know, they've got the elbows out and they've got the rat cunning in them. So yeah, just keep it real. What do you look at when you say the situation we're in now where the most popular driver by a street moving out, what does that mean in a bigger picture for the, the series? What does the series need to do to promote the rest of the drivers and what do uh, what does it each team need to do or don't they need to do anything oh, i think it's going to leave a void um you know we should revere our champions in any sport 
uh, you know, in AFL terms, you hear people saying, oh, you know, Buddy Franklin, you know, he's not as good as they say. The day he falls up with an injury or retires is a sad day because you lose a champion that not only his definitive fans enjoy watching, but in all honesty, most of the AFL community enjoy watching. So in motor racing, you know, our Buddy Franklin, if you like, is Craig Lowndes. And he's about to go missing. So to fill that breach is, is going to be difficult, and, and it can't be done artificially. And the same thing goes for Jamie Wincup's multitude of championships. We should be, we should be re, you know, rejoicing in the moment of someone who's showing such dominance in a great team, uh, acting as a true professional, because he'll be gone one day. So I think that the interesting challenge will be to see whose personality starts to change and who maybe try, who tries a little bit too hard. Clearly, we can identify the next group of drivers who are likely to be you know, the Craig Lowndes-type drivers coming through. And in essence, I think, if sadly, if you're over 30 or 35, your brand is set. So it's the younger ones that could potentially just fine-tune and streamline their brand a little bit. And it may take 10 years. And if you're not achieving success, you can be the best brand in the world, but it doesn't mean anything. So it'll be a combination of the driver that's in the right team environment with the right equipment and personnel at his disposal, the right personality, and then ultimately the results that come with it that will slowly start to pursue and maybe even equal the popularity of Craig Lowndes. Is Craig Lowndes as popular as Peter Brock in his halcyon days? The jury's out in a lot of people, but he's certainly the most popular driver we have now. And there's that lineage, isn't there, between Brock, Lowndes, also, you know, following in each other's paths, so to speak, or Craig in, in Peter's. So, yeah, right now it's a big gap to fill. I don't think supercars as a category will necessarily try to fabricate. Um, could they potentially import a big name to the sport? Maybe. But again, it's artificial. It's going to be about making sure the racing is competitive. And then when that person who does start to win, that personality starts to blossom, it's then maximising that personality for who they are. Now, it may well be Scott McLaughlin, if he wins the championship this year and, you know, and, and goes on. He's popular in Australia and New Zealand. Team Penske have global reach. He has all the fundamental credentials, but he needs to have the on-track success as well. And, and to match what Craig's achieved will not happen, no matter how fast you accelerate it, for a decade or more, mm-hmm. if it happens. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting challenge. Chris, it's a pleasure to catch up with you. It's interesting times ahead in the uh, driver stakes, if you like, and it'll be also interesting to see how it all shakes off, not necessarily in 2019, but what is going to happen in 2020, 21, 22, because I think that's when we're really going to start to see the bite of Craig not being here. Yeah, I think you're right. It'll be a three to five year process that we're about to go through and almost by stealth, you know, the individuals or the individual that's ultimately going to assume the mantle um, will develop and it could be someone totally obscure that we're not expecting. We may have in our category at some point a a country bumpkin 20-year-old that's just no frills but a fast racing driver that could be embraced by the loyal legion of fans that are in a similar demographic. We're a very popular sport regionally, and that could could work very well, just as much as the silver-tongued engineering intellect that wins races. And that's the beauty of the sport, isn't it? It's It's different personalities. If they were carbon copies of the predecessor, well, that's largely a beige existence. And I, for one, will be looking forward to, one, seeing who might step up to the mantle, two, trying to help my drivers make sure they can, but but in a natural, non-fabricated or artificial way. Craig, final thoughts. And i just like to raise the issue of driver management in terms of Dave Reynolds, Bathurst, and what happened with Erebus this year. Because Dave Reynolds has a very forceful manner, it seemed almost as though Erebus were almost wary of trying to pull him out of the car uh, before he agreed to it. Obviously, 
when it came time and he did get out, you know, they 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 did it and he was out and Luke Yulden was in, but it just seemed a very strange one. Yeah, I find that it, teams are loathe to pull out their main driver. Uh, I can remember one example with uh, uh, Tim Slade, who was in a, a horrid state in the car. You could see in the car he was he was trying to spray water on his face to try and cool his body down, but uh, they left him in the car. And uh, all too often, I think teams err on the side of the of the main established driver. Understandably, they're the faster driver in. Nine out of ten cases uh, between the main driver and the co-driver, but uh, you know it's very easy to be an armchair expert or a Monday expert and say they should have changed Luke Gilden. Uh, in the same situation again, I actually think, based on the discussion I had with Dave, which uh, people heard some of that on the show a few weeks ago now, I actually think Dave would put his hand up to get out, um, but. Who knows when the red mist is down? But there have been instances many times over the years. I mean, you go back to the Steve Owen back in Adelaide back some 10 or 12 years ago when driving a Rod Nash car, and uh, he was severely dehydrated to the point, in fact, where one of the doctors at the Adelaide Hospital told me he was as close as you can get to kicking, cooking your kidneys uh, with, and, and surviving. But certainly driver fatigue is something that uh, the teams need to be well advised about. And it'll be something possibly that comes up this weekend. Do you know if the uh, forecast is for good weather or bad? Well, who knows with uh, New Zealand. It can be so different at times. And it's certainly an interesting subject, driver fatigue, and one that teams will probably increasingly put on their agenda to discuss. But that's it for another week's episode of Inside Supercars. So thank you very much from me. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.